0: This podcast is sponsored by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Listen for a special May offer at the conclusion of today's program.
1: This is Theology on the
2: Go, a brief
1: interview about an eternal truth.
2: We come to God through the man Jesus Christ. And as we come through the man, Jesus Christ, through the temple of his body, then we get the whole God.
1: Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my co-host and good friend, James Dulles. James, how are you today?
0: Doing well. I'm I'm looking forward to the discussion uh, with our guest because he's going to bring out uh a luminary uh, of the 16th century who's been hidden away from us, unfortunately, and uh, so I'm I'm excited that we get to introduce uh, this theologian via his translator on our on our podcast today.
1: I, I agree that is an exciting thing. Uh, so we're we're glad to welcome uh, Patrick O'Banion today. He is um, a ruling elder in the PCA he's written a number of books he he taught history at the university level for two decades and he trains pastors overseas now with training leaders international but we also not only want to introduce uh, patrick obanion but also girolamo zonki who is uh the 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 luminary to, to which james refers and in particular we're going to discuss uh, zonki's book the spiritual marriage between christ and his church and every one of the faithful but I think you're right. I think we want to introduce Zanke more generally. So, Dr. O'Banion, thanks for joining us today.
2: Uh, It's really a pleasure, pleasure and an honor to be here.
1: So, to to pick up on what James said, most of our listeners may know little about Zanke, although we're hoping that that will change and maybe this book will help change that. So, who was Zanke and what is his importance in the early development of the Reformed theological tradition?
2: Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, great question to start off with. So, uh, Girolamo Zanchi was a 16th century figure. Uh, he was raised in Italy, as his name suggests. He was born in Northern Italy, um, became a, a priest, um, member of a, of a religious community there, uh, and was converted to Protestantism uh, while he was a priest in Italy. In the 1550s, early 1550s, he flees north. Uh, with the Inquisition on his heels, and he winds up spending most of the rest of his life going from Strasbourg uh, down into sort of the the area between northern Italy and um, southern Austria, up into uh, Heidelberg, uh, down across the river into Neustadt, uh, moving around from place to place, acting as a pastor, um, as a professor, and as an elder of a variety of churches and schools. You asked as well about um, his importance for the period. So the way I like to think about Zanke's importance for this period is that where the, the, the first and second generation of Protestant reformers, uh, men like Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, Bullinger, right, the names that we know, these guys lay the foundation for Protestantism, but it's actually guys in like the third generation, so men like Zanke who come along and actually lead the tradition into maturity. So if you want to understand what Reformed theology is, it's fine, of course, to go to Calvin and Bootser and Bullinger and Zwingli, but you really are going to get it nowadays through men like Zanke, who are the ones who are actually doing the work of translating that from, let's say, um, proclamation in pulpits and in public debates into a context where you can have confessional documents, where you can have theological systems that are being formed, where you can have uh, future pastors trained in schools, those sorts of things. That's all the work of men like Zanke and others who come along at the end of the 16th century.
0: Patrick, is it right to think of Zanke as a reform scholastic? I mean, this is something that Richard Muller has kind of brought back into our uh understanding. Uh, Is he part of that scholasticizing uh, tradition? And maybe you could comment on that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, So one of the things that is said about Zanke and that I say about him as well is uh, that he is a reformed scholastic theologian. Um, and that turns people off uh, sometimes, depending on what you think scholastic. Our means. listeners
0: love it. Well, good. Some of, some That's some great.
2: Yeah. So my <laughs> definition of, of scholasticism is basically theology done in the schools, right? That's where right. scholasticism comes from. So what is Zanki trying to do? Um, he's not trying to write the sort of books that are going to show up on the Christian living bookshelf in the 16th century. What he's trying to do is he's trying to write precise theology that is going to be helpful in training and forming future pastors and church leaders, right? That's what he's doing. And to that end, he's very successful. Um, in fact, magnificently successful. He writes more than six million words. Um, in, his, in his published Oprah Omnia. Uh, it's an astonishing accomplishment. Um, and these are works that are meant then to be used to train uh, future pastors
0: and theologians. And most of that work is later, it's not like Calvin. Calvin's writing is a, voluminously as a very young man, whereas Zonke is not writing voluminously as a young man, right? I mean, he's a, sort of a late bloomer.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so he really doesn't begin publishing until 1572. He's born in 1519, I'm sorry, 1516, right? So he's in his mid, am I doing the math right here? Yeah, his mid fifties, by the time that he really begins publishing. He's published a couple of things before that, but not much and only only sort of under duress almost, right? Because he's being pushed to publish. It's not until his mid fifties that he really finds his stride in terms of writing. And in fact, his publication, record continues long after his death. So his, uh, his children and his sons-in-law uh, work for about two decades to put together his collected theological writings and to get all of that published.
0: And pretty quickly, though, it seems like, when I say quickly, I mean, within years, within a few years of his death, a lot of this is being translated into English and other languages and is being disseminated broadly. I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of early, early 17th century printings of translations of his work that I've seen. His impact isn't just Straussburg or Heidelberg. Uh, it really is continental and Anglo as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I would take a little bit of an issue with saying that a lot of it is translated. Okay. Um, I some would of say, it. Maybe I would say, a lot,
0: not compared to the, not compared to the Omnia.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I would say about 3% uh, is translated okay. into other languages. Um, a fair, you know, of that 3%, a fair amount shows up in English, a little bit in French. Uh, seems like there's something in Dutch. Yeah. Something in Dutch is published, but uh, of course we have to keep in mind that, that in the 16th century, Latin is the international language. So if you write in Latin, Latin, you're not writing for a local audience, you're writing for the the learned audience throughout Europe. Um, And 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 it's in that form, I think by and large, that his work actually spreads and is communicated to others. And and as I say, sort of builds this foundation, which reformed theology then develops over the next, well, uh, four centuries. You
1: talked about his context as a third generation, roughly third generation reformer, and some of the things that it was incumbent upon that generation in the reform tradition to talk about, to write about. But specifically with Zonki, what contributions do you think, what distinctive contributions does he make to the tradition? What are the things that you'd say, if, if you want to read the best on, on these topics Zanke has to be in that conversation. Obviously what you've translated is a spiritual marriage between yeah. Christ and his church, and he's using this marriage as a metaphor for our union with Christ. Uh, so that may, may be on the list, but are there other things that you would say he's exceptional in this area?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've spent, as, as you might imagine, I've spent a little bit of time thinking about that question. Um, so I think one of the things that Zanke does i'm gonna i'll try to limit my answer to four short things okay so first is union with christ um, this is this is a, a really sort of load-bearing wall in Zanke's theology and i think even more so than in calvin's theology and calvin is often discussed as a sort of theologian of union with Christ. I think it's even more pronounced in Zanke's, uh theology. And uh, the book that I translated, The Short Treatise on Spiritual Marriage, I think this is one of the places where you really see it, but you see it in lots of other places as well. Okay, so that's one. Second thing that I would point to is actually the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Zenke's first major work in 1572 is called On the Three Elohim, right? And, and what he's doing here is in, in the wake of, of a growing anti-Trinitarian movement among Reformed Protestants, right, or, or those who are connected with Reformed Protestantism, he is asserting in vigorous fashion a positive formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity, which, which actually I think even goes beyond sort of recovering the tradition. It's interacting with the church fathers and with the medievals and with contemporary theologians, but it's even going beyond that in doing uh, what we might think of as sort of positive theological work. Um, it's, it's really a, a remarkable uh, piece of theology. Uh, the third thing that I think I would point to is um. That treatise, so that work on the Trinity, actually becomes the first in a series of works that he develops. What is sometimes described, although Zanke never uses this language, as a reformed summa of theology, uh, recalling there Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica, right? Um, what Zanke seems to be interested in doing during his most prolific years is developing a massive reformed Protestant summa of theology. And he gets a fair ways through the project. Um, he gets to about the doctrine of Christ before he, you know, for complicated reasons. He loses his position at the University of Heidelberg, and uh, he gets sort of drawn off into working on biblical studies topics instead. Um, but but he is putting together reform systematics at a really basic level, right? Not, not, not at a simple level, but at a foundational level. Um, and he will go and do some other systematic things that I think the tradition continues to draw upon. Um, and then, so that's three. So I'll give you one more. And the fourth and final thing that I would say and we can see this as well in, in the spiritual marriage book, is that he is working with what will become in the next few generations, a doctrine of reformed covenant theology. Now, he doesn't call it that. He actually doesn't talk a lot about covenants, but what he's doing is he's thinking a lot about first Adam, second Adam kinds of issues, Roman 5, 1 Corinthians 15. He's dealing with that. And he's thinking about it in terms of a sort of unfolding, covenantal, biblical theological context, right? So he's not Gerhardus Boss; he's not thinking about it in quite those ways, but what he's doing is drawing doctrines together throughout different portions of scripture in a way that doesn't flatten them and simply make them all the same, but that gives space for understanding the way in which redemptive history unfolds over time. So there are four big ways, I think, in which Sankey uh, really influences later theology.
1: I would love to keep talking more generally, but yeah, let's let's talk about this. I want to begin with a quote that some of our listeners will be familiar with, because you mentioned union with Christ, and that's at the heart of this book. Um, so John Murray famously wrote, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation, uh, does Zanke see it in that sort of unifying way as that significant? You, you talked about it, I think, earlier as a load-bearing wall or something like that. But um, is is that how he would have conceived of the, the doctrine of salvation?
2: Um, you know, th- there's th- there's a lot of water under the bridge between, well, between Zanke and and Murray. Um, and so I, I'm i hesitant to just say Zanke is doing the same thing that Murray is doing or Murray is doing the same thing that Zanke is doing. However, I I do think it's fair to say that for Zanke, all of salvation is understood in terms of union with Christ, because you don't get anything from Christ. You don't get any of the blessings unless you're in union with Christ. And for him, what that means is, is first and foremost, that the spirit is working in the heart and working faith within the heart and that that faith reaches out as an instrument to lay hold of Christ. And it's that bond of spirit and faith, which is the the fundamental element of the union with Christ. So it's a union by spirit and faith between the believer and Christ. And that union then is drawn tighter and tighter as the believer draws closer to Christ. So everything for him, justification, sanctification, glorification, it's all done in terms of union with Christ, and he will frame it that way explicitly in terms of union with Christ. So um, to say the least, it's very important for him.
0: Patrick, I was struck in reading in, in uh, Zonke's work that his emphasis upon the reality of this union, um, yes. and even particularly with the reality of the union with Christ. Body, because he's drawing on the he's drawing on the one flesh imagery of marriage and bringing that to bear. And I'm I'm thinking he has some Lord's Supper discussions in his mind. Um, obviously, that was a point of contention for him at Strasbourg, uh, where he was eventually pushed out by a strong Lutheran position uh, that he couldn't hold to. And yet, I still see in this work, which is the as you say in your introduction, the the last one that he himself sent off to a publisher before he died. That's right. Uh, that he's emphasizing this this marriage as a one flesh union with Christ, and that we commune with Christ in His body. Uh, and he's even arguing against views that say that Christ's body was temporary and He disposed of it when He returned to heaven. And I think a lot of evangelicals today still right. still kind of think that maybe Jesus in the flesh, Christ in the flesh, was a temporary phenomenon. And he says, no. If it's a if the marriage, if there's a marriage union with Christ, then there's also a marriage union with Christ incarnate. Um, And I wonder if you could speak to that in terms of that, that emphasis he's putting there.
2: Yeah. uh, Boy, I mean, this is, there is so much that he packs into this. It really is rich. Um, I I think fundamentally, I sometimes ask myself the question, should I describe this treatise as an, as an anti-Lutheran treatise, right? Is that what he's really doing here? Um, And I hesitate to do that because I don't think people will read it if I say that, but that is definitely in the background here. And one of the points that Zenke that wants to make is simply this, that if we don't get Christ as man, then we don't get Christ, right? Because mm-hmm. the church's bridegroom must be of the same nature as the church. You can't be married to something that is of a different nature. And Zenki is even gonna go like to Old Testament law And he's going to say, you can't have a marriage between a human being and an animal, right? That is forbidden. In the same sort of way, if we are united to Christ as a bride to her bridegroom, he must be of the same essence and nature as we are. That is to say, what do we get when we get Christ? We get everything. We get Christ, both God and man, but we only get Christ as God, because we get Christ as man. So we come first to Christ as man. And as we come to him as man, we receive both Christ as man and Christ as God. I recently read a book about the extra Calvinisticum, which is one of the, the elements that's actually underlying this debate. And one of the things that the author said, James Gordon, he says, um, look, think about the theology of the temple. Okay, when you when the priest goes into the holy of holy once a year, is God really there? Yes, God is really there. And yet we know that the temple walls do not contain him, that he's bigger than the temple. Is he really there? Yes, we really get him in that physical place, but he's bigger than that physical place. But here's the thing. Just because he's bigger than that physical place, you don't get to go outside of the temple. And, and sort of look around behind the temple and try to find God there without going through the temple. Just in the same way, we come to God through the man, Jesus Christ. And as we come through the man, Jesus Christ, through the temple of his body, then we get the whole God.
0: I was just struck with how clearly Zonchius makes that point uh in in the work and y- y- we normally think of that as even his um you know spiritual union with the flesh of christ we typically call that you know calvinist as opposed to zwinglian but i wonder a little bit because Zonki is not just sort of a, a sycophant of calvin uh even by his own even when he says i'm not a calvinist but obviously what he means i'm not a follower of this man right. Right. uh but but it strikes me that his doctrine of spiritual union with the body of Christ, using this marriage metaphor, is as strong it seems to me as anything you find in Calvin.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, y- y- when uh, when my wife when my wife read this book, um, she said, "Boy, uh, that that sounds kind of Lutheran, uh, doesn't it?" And you know, so we, we had a, we had a really interesting discussion about that. I think what is I, I think what Zanke wants to do is he wants to draw a distinction. Right. He wants to draw a distinction between what is united, right? And what is united is is us in Christ, our flesh with his flesh, right? We are united in essence, right? We really get Christ. He wants to draw a distinction between what is united and how the union is accomplished. Right. Mm. So think about the Lord's Supper. When you take the Lord's Supper, um, Calvin and Zanke and and, and the Reformed tradition in general would say, um, you're not eating the physical body of Christ, right? That's not that's not what the bread is, but you are united to the, the body and blood of Christ by the spirit when you receive the bread and the wine with faith. So you are spiritually united, but that's different from saying that you are physically united by eating the bread and the wine.
1: Patrick, I wish we had more time for this conversation. We would commend this book to our listeners, and we're grateful that you gave us uh, your time today to to talk a little bit about it.
2: It was my pleasure.
1: Well, James, we say this a lot when we have our guests on, but this was one where I wished we had more time, um, because this book itself is very rich, and... And we would commend it to our listeners. Oftentimes we have to give a little disclaimer, you know, that the book might not be for everyone. I, I really think this is a book that, that everyone should at least consider picking up. And then, and then beyond that, Zonky's, um corpus, as it gets translated, is, is really worthy of, of careful study and attention.
0: I'm hopeful that we see that, and and maybe uh, Patrick is the one. I mean, he's already begun to be the one who helps us get access uh, to Zanke. Uh I've I've read early 17th century English translations and benefited immensely. Uh, this is um, Zonki is among the best of the Reformed scholastics, but as evidenced in this book, um, he can also do pastoral treatises. This is actually drawn out of. Um, some lectures and teaching that he did in the book of Ephesians. Um, and so it's, you think about it this way, Jonathan, right now, many of us are familiar with and have spent time with Turretin. Those trans, the, the English translation wasn't read easily available to us until the mid nineties. And now Turretin is kind of passed into a mainstream source that we all look at and I, or should, if you don't, you should look at Turretin. But I'm hopeful that Zonki uh, becomes that as well, that we can get great translations of, of a, a massively important theological figure. The other thing that stood out to me when Patrick was speaking is just that Zonki's writing, uh, he begins really vigorously writing as an already seasoned professor, pastor, and theologian. So that you're getting you know, that kind of early later zonky isn't there as much. It's almost all later zonky because you're right. getting kind of a, a richer, more mature reflection um, in most of his works. And I think that we could stand to benefit from that.
1: Well, if you are interested in registering to uh, possibly win a copy of this book, "The Spiritual Marriage Between Christ and His Church and Every One of the Faithful," you can do that on PlaceForTruth.org. Click on the Theology on the Go link. It's also available now. It's published by our friends at RHB, Reformation Heritage Books, and so you can pick it up. It's a fairly short book, um, and again, rich with pastoral wisdom, with biblical theology, and with systematic reflection. And so we would commend it to you. Um, and as always, we're grateful for you as our listeners. If you have the ability to support us, you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. We're dependent on financial contributions from listeners like you. Also, if you know someone who might benefit from this podcast, please pass it along. If you can rate and review the podcast, that helps us spread the word. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.
3: Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever step foot in the door? So how's your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new site for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as sermon manager, online bulletins, ministries, books, and notifications It also integrates with other popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving, with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of May, we're offering 15% off the website setup fee. Get started by using coupon code RS15 when you go to ReformationSites.com. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern Reformation.